Who knew the revolution began with my bookie book? Our all Disney cruise is captained by Captain Hook. I love rock circus. Keep emailing me your stories about going there. I <laughs> uh, can't get enough of it. If that was their official song, I cannot believe that place is no longer with us. <laughs> R.I.P. Rock Circus. Most of you said, yeah, I love that too, Ollie. I love that just like you did. And one person said, don't know the fuss. I went when I was uh, a child and I thought it was shit. Yeah, that's why it closed down. I guess ultimately <laughs> there may be a sort of silent majority mm. who felt that way. And it's just us vocal minority who are saying, wasn't it great? Yeah, it's like UKIP supporters. <laughs> uh, well, this is an email from Wayne, who worked at Rock oh, Circus wow. in the mid-90s. What as? Did Hashtag he, dream job. Did he sculpt the pop stars? Uh, one of his duties was trying to get pop stars to do the Wall of Fame with their hands. You know, where you put right. your hands in the, in the cement. And they had that on a wall rather than a pavement. Yeah, yeah, they Makes did, sense. yeah. And he, he was trying to get Bowie for 10 years oh. couldn't get him in even during the low Bowie years yeah, the lowies yeah yeah what did they do with all those hands I wonder they must have auctioned them off when they deconsecrated Rock Circus yeah and could you fill them with silicon and then make a Bowie hand mould <laughs> and sell it on eBay um, touch yourself you yeah don't, you'd only have his palms though you wouldn't have the back of his hands I think that's enough for some people isn't it I guess so I know at least one person that paid quite a lot of money for that <laughs> anyway Wayne worked at Rock Circus in the mid 90s he says I have a signed CD of classical violinist Vanessa May wow when she came in for the day. That must be worth a lot. Yeah, I reckon I could probably get a signed CD of Vanessa May off eBay for less than it cost me to travel to what was Rock Circus for yeah. the day. Uh, he says, I was chaperoned to Bob Geldof when he came in to promote Live Aid's 10th anniversary. Uh, he asked for decaf coffee, which we didn't have, so I went looking for a shop around Piccadilly Circus that sold decaf coffee at 10am on a Sunday morning. Now, I think in the mid-90s that was probably quite tricky. Really difficult. I think what you could do is just serve the calf coffee... Because he's not going to find out till later, is he? In the mid-90s, asking for a decaf coffee anywhere in Britain meant decaf gold blend, didn't it? Ugh, yeah. Whereas to, to, as a rock star preference, you'd think you'd just want freshly ground coffee in the 90s because even that on. was a novelty. They didn't have that in Britain. I know. Even, even though they had it on the Kenko adverts, that was just for show. Yeah, it was. Imagine if you'd asked for soy milk in the mid-90s. Where would you have to have travelled to get it? Probably Glastonbury. Japan yeah. or New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, elsewhere at the opening of this episode, Helen, we've got very exciting news because I've identified the last surviving person working in the newspaper industry. Uh, it is... is it Rupert Murdoch written in? Wow. Uh, it's Ollie from Rochdale uh, who says, This morning on my paper round, which I've, been doing, <laughs> which I've been doing since I was 13 and I'm 18 now. And they say there are no jobs for life anymore. I spotted an elderly chap on his paper round this morning. I feel that being 18 would be a very old age to have a paper round and kind of embarrassing. I do understand that, yes, it's a bit of extra money for older people, but I associate it as a kid's job. So, Helen, answer me this. What is the appropriate age bracket to do a paper round? These days, unemployment is such a big problem amongst all age groups, and uh, particularly there's a drop-off, isn't there? When you reach middle age, opportunities really dry up. But our paper, when I was growing up, was often delivered by the guy who ran the shop because the paper boys flaked out and didn't turn up. Oh, really? Yeah. So it could be that. And also, because Ollie is an 18-year-old, when he says this guy is elderly... Yeah, he probably means 39, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so he could well be you know, one of the paper boys' dads. If he is elderly, maybe he just likes to have the chore. 
He likes the fresh air. He likes the walk. The reasons that it appeals to school children uh, historically, which is you can go to school after the job, that yeah. could still appeal to someone who has a full-time job, couldn't it? Get yes. up, do the paper round, and you can still go to work. Possibly yeah. on the way to work. And you've really accomplished a lot before you even get in. Exactly. There's something quite satisfying about that kind of job, isn't it? Because you know at the end of the shift you've done it. Also, was he definitely delivering the same papers as you? You know, the free sheets could be delivered by a different person to the paperboy who is hired by the news agent. Yeah, he could have been delivering My Rochdale News or whatever. You know, one yeah. of those free things that looks a bit like a magazine, but he, actually is just full of classifieds. He could have been delivering his own homemade zines. Yeah. <laughs> about punk subculture of Rochdale. And seeing lots more questions, Ollie, around rising from your seemingly simple question do you think also kids today kids today (laughs) parents wouldn't let them do a paper round anymore because of the paedophile threat Mm. and and therefore they have to get adults to do it if you're on a bike and you've got a a newspaper that's a perfect speed weapon combination to avoid predatory paedophiles well that that was essentially the theme of paperboy the video game did you ever play that (laughs) yeah it's a great game wasn't it what platform were you on I think I played it on the Spectrum. Uh huh. I had the Amiga version. Helen, I imagine you were playing it on pen and paper. <laughs> I had a good time. <laughs> uh, All time high score. Paperboy Factoid, first video game developed in North America. Yeah. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Good noise. Thanks for that. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but it was an arcade machine made by Atari. But then when they ported it over to NES, they developed it in North America. It was the first one. Isn't that strange? Because it's so humdrum. Yeah, but that's why it was fun. Fun drum. <laughs> By the way, people, when you're calling us, sometimes we can't hear your questions, and this is almost one of those times. If you're thinking, I called in a great question, they haven't used it, maybe you were standing in a high wind. Yeah, maybe you were standing there with cotton wool in your mouth like this woman was. <laughs> maybe she called just after having dental surgery. Answer me this. What is a buster in the Scrubs TLC song? What is a buster, uh, as in the TLC song, No Scrubs? A scrub is a guy who thinks he's fly... Also known as a buster. Yeah, it's very clear. They actually define it for you in the opening lines it's of the song. It's almost like a thesaurian introduction. Exactly. They, in a way, they couldn't be clearer. I mean, out of all the questions we've ever been asked, mm. what is a thing in a song? I, I, I don't think we've ever before had a song that starts with lyrics telling you exactly what that thing is. Always talking about what he wants and he just sits on his broke ass. Correct. As they again clarify later in the song, um, I don't want a guy with no money. See, what bothers me about the song is that there's a, there's a mixed message here. Yes. So there's a bit of it which says, I don't want a, a guy that like shakes at me through the window of a passing car driven yeah. by his friend from the passenger side. He can't even drive, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so it's a sexual harasser. No, it's a sexual harasser who can't afford his own well, car. Yeah, but that's, that's, the part. <laughs> that's the other part. The, yeah. the, the, it's very acquisitive. It is. He has to be a man of independent means. I think this is the thing. We need to uh, recontextualise this back in the 90s because this song's 15 years old. And although the two statements seem to be contradictory, as Martin says, you know, don't objectify me uh, by shouting at me out of a window but also I only want to go with a guy who's got lots of money. Yeah, she's a oh, I, I do think, you know, in the sort of Spice Girls era, you could qualify both of those statements as this is female empowerment. I get to choose the guy that I want and I want someone who is both not going to objectify me and I'm going to objectify him. Same era as Bills, Bills, Bills by Destiny's exactly. Child. I want a guy who's got money. I want a guy who's not going to slag but me off. So and they, they seem contradictory now, but, but they didn't why would then. an independent woman need a man of uh, independent means? So that he wasn't a sponger. No, but what she's saying is, I want to choose someone because of their material worth, but I want him to choose me because of, as they rap in the song, my spectacular vernacular, not my booty. Yeah, Even though there's a conflicted messaging on that as well. I don't well. think that's yeah. very feminine. Because if you look mm. at the video, they're wearing a very early version of wearable tech. Basically, <laughs> flashing oh, yeah. tits and fannies. And again, mixed messages, like I say, a lot of bumping and grinding. Mm. You know, here they are saying, value me uh, for uh, my spectacular vernacular. And I don't mean to victim blame here, mm. but what they're wearing and the wriggling they're doing, you, you know, you're sending a message that actually what you have to show off is your booty. Yeah, but maybe they're not showing it off. They're like, I like to dress this way. And uh, yeah. it's none of your business. You know, um, 
this song maybe had a strong influence on Cheryl Cole because she met her now ex-husband Ashley Cole because he shouted, Oi, nice bum out of a car window at her. Did he? Well, he is a scrub, isn't he? he he's wealthy. He's a wealthy scrub. He's a wealthy scrub. Yeah, so can you be wealthy and a scrub? Yes, you can, Ashley Cole. But yeah. they didn't know this was pre-Ashley Cole. It was, well, he was alive, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but, but it was before his... He, before his wealth. Well, so he was, would have just been a scrub. It was before his successful shouting out of a car window at a woman. Yes. Well, here's a question from Katie, who is very nearly 27. Oh, it's a good age, Katie. Uh, she says, uh, I've recently switched from wearing foundation to using BB cream. It's a form of tinted moisturiser, she says. Okay. Uh, so Helen, answer me this. What does the BB in BB cream stand for? I imagine it's not the same as BB King. <laughs> or BB gun. Yeah. Uh, it's a blemish balm or blemish base or beauty balm. Mm. And but but why why not one of the three identifiably? Is it, uh, it sounds to me like this is a guessing game. Well, yeah, because uh, these products, which have been all the rage in the beauty industry for the last couple of years, mm. even though they're not really different to tinted moisturiser, but those people have short attention spans and they think <laughs> it's new. Uh, they came out of South Korea, and the idea is it kind of does the job of many products in one, so a moisturiser and a foundation and an SPF, and it evens out your pores. Mm. Um, but really, it doesn't do any of those jobs particularly well. And also, a lot of the original purpose was to give South Korean women very pale doll-like porcelain skin mm. so it had a kind of whitening element mm -hmm. so after about 10 years they caught on here and uh, were renamed bb to make you look radiant i keep seeing press releases about uh makeup vloggers from youtube i know we've touched mm. on this before but christ they're everywhere why do you care their videos are so boring why didn't we get into it i mean <laughs> I seriously know, that would have been really funny if we'd have in january 2007 if we'd have started a makeup tutorial vlog we'd be massive we'd by be now so rich. there's one that has her own eyelash range available in super drug all she's done is sit on her ass in her bedroom and picking show you out how her to... eyelashes yeah, and, and selling them individually <laughs> <laughs> and show you how to tint your skin uh there is one drawback to being a, a beauty vlogger i can't um, think of one i was i was at a, a do with a beauty journalist the other night and she just gets shit loads of personalized stuff because the stuff's personalised, like when she gets bottles of perfume or something, mm. is, and they put a photo of her as a baby on it, Ugh. you can't sell it on eBay. So if you're getting <laughs> loads of freebs, you can you can flog them, but that you can't give it to someone else for Christmas. Maybe your grandma, but yeah. you'd have to scrub out your name with Tipex. You are you are making it sound like hell. I'm glad we're not beauty vloggers after all. Worst job ever. I've got a question. Email your question. To answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. 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 Uh, here's a question from Luke, who was born and raised in Perth, Australia, but lives in the UK, just in case you want to map his trajectory mm -hmm. from birth to now. <laughs> uh, he says, while looking after a friend's hamster, Jet, this summer, while I was at work, Jet decided to pass away. The suicidal hamster, really? I don't think hamsters generally decide that, unless life living with you, Luke, was so awful that he just thought, I'm going to run myself to death. Yeah. I can't bear it anymore. No, this is what happened when we looked after the school hamster, Snoozy, and it jumped down the stairs, and we had to buy another one. It, did it jump? Well... It was a clear leap of intention. I don't know. It 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 made its way from the top of the stairs to death at the bottom. <laughs> I did not witness the precipitation of that, but the net result was the same. Here's Luke's problem with the dead jet. As I was looking after Jet at my place, I could not lay him to rest in my garden and it did not feel right to go and dig a hole in my friend's back garden yes, while I, they were away. I see that issue, yes. Mm. 
I did what I thought was the right thing to do. And I put Jet in a shoebox and placed him in the freezer until Whoa. they returned. <laughs> I was not anticipating the deep frozen aspect. I can see why you made that decision, though. Two weeks later, upon my friend's arrival back in the UK, they came round to collect Jet. Before they got into the house, I explained what had happened and the reason for setting up my pet mortuary. Hmm. They seemed okay. It is just a hamster. I mean, it's hard to work up a great emotional attachment. But on the few occasions we've caught up since the summer, they have not been the same. <laughs> Bit Stephen Kingy, this, isn't it? it is. Came back covered in mud and with a strange smell that never went away. You could write a novel called Jet Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder whether actually this isn't to do with their attachment to Jet or your particular behaviour in this instance, but just that when you share death with a friend, it's hard to be jolly next time you see them. It's a strange bond, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't mean for Jet the hamster to die while they were on holiday, because yeah. Jet decided. But Ollie answered me this was freezing him too much. Well, I understand why you would, because yes. if it was a hot day and you've got two weeks to go, then mm. you would be thinking, I, I need to present them the animal, but I don't want to present them a festering animal. No, and I can't freeze dry because I haven't got the equipment. I think you were trying to be compassionate, and it's mm. obvious looking at the facts that you were, but I think ashes would have been easier to deal with. Yes, but when you take a hamster to be cremated... Mm. <laughs> You're not going to get their ashes back. <laughs> That's true. But again, it's the symbolism, isn't it? You're saying, I'm, I'm truly sorry for your loss. I've done this in a respectful way. Perhaps you could have a little pot made with jet written on it. And then you give them that. And it looks nicer than giving them their dead hamster frozen in a shoebox. You could have embalmed the hamster. Could you? Yes. How? Pick vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> Big kill in a jar full of vinegar. Um, yeah. I think maybe you should have just disposed of the hamster. Be like, I'm so sorry. Jet died. It's in a little tiny coffin in the garden. We can disinter Jet if you want the grave somewhere else. But, I mean, realistically, who's going to be tending a hamster's grave in their own garden? Um, but, yeah, you should have probably taken it to the vet, got them to dispose of it however they respectfully do, and given you whatever they do to oh, pass really? on. That's ridiculous. Yeah. An animal ridiculous, as small as a hamster. No, but you a don't dog, know, yes. But you don't know their emotional attachment to the hamster. I it could be but... that their children were involved, and the children are emotionally attached, yeah, and that's the problem. Yeah, for about an hour. Children well, get over these things very fast. Well, I, okay. What you definitely should have done, I think, and yes, this would ruin their holiday for an evening, but I think it's not your responsibility to avoid this. Text them, ask them what they want. I think you should have told want. them, yeah. Waiting till they get to your house to come and pick up Jet to tell them that Jet is in your freezer is a little bit hard to deal with. Mm. You know, that's the thing. You've put them on that emotional uh, cable car. Two weeks after Martin and I got back from honeymoon, my mum was in a near-fatal car crash. In the aftermath, she was saying, oh, I don't know what would have happened if it had happened while you are on honeymoon and if I died, we would have just had to not tell you till you got back so we didn't spoil it. <gasps> really? Like, really? Wow. Because, of course, that wouldn't have an impact on your life together afterwards, would it, as a married couple, that you enjoyed your honeymoon whilst your mother had died? Yeah. Uh, no yeah. impact on my relationship with the surviving members of the family or my attitude towards her. So I know I am now comparing a rodent to a woman but i do think <laughs> in the case of hamster and children it would be up to your friends to decide whether or not to tell the kids that the hamster was dead but i think you should have told them i think in future work out an arrangement before your friends go on holiday and you're left pet sitting say in the event of a fatality do you mm. want to be informed or should i wait till you get home and if you do want me to dispose of the body please let me know which method you would find acceptable get this in writing well, actually, Coco went into a cattery when we went away in September. Murdered 14 people. <laughs> and one of the questions on the form, it was a really good cattery, this, where they really prepare you for every outcome. <laughs> Belt and braces. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, they asked, do you have pet insurance? Yes or no, we don't. So then it said, what is the maximum amount you would want to spend on saving your cat's life? So in other words, Jesus. if your cat gets a disease while mm. she's and needs, because it was a cattery based in a vet. It's a bit like so blackmail. If, Shame if anything happens to your cat. <laughs> so if... If she's in there and the vet, you know, identifies suddenly she has feline HIV and mm. needs to treat her, 
what's the maximum you're prepared to, and I had to put a figure. What was it? I think I put a thousand pounds. Okay. Because well, okay. I, I, I thought anything over that, we really would want a phone call to discuss that. Yeah. Because the cat's like 11 years old. But yeah. How any- many good years of pleasure have you got left before she starts pissing on the sofa? <laughs> yeah. But anything under that, I'd be like, well, I've spent more on the holiday. And, you know, it's my fault that she was in the category when this happened. I'd feel responsible. So that was the figure I picked. But that's a hard... You don't think mm. about that figure until someone asks you. You could go on a, another holiday for that grand. Yeah, for the price of one dead, untreated cat. Well, she's just going to die anyway. <laughs> Why keep pets at all? They just die on you. They just die unless they're a tortoise, in which case they might outlive you. But I do feel nervous when people that I've asked to look after Coco have to do that whilst I'm on holiday. I feel nervous for the friend and I feel nervous for the animal. I do. Because you feel responsible because you know that if you were them and something happened to the animal, you'd feel awful. But equally, Mm. as the owner, you're you're more devastated about the animal than their feelings when it happens. Yeah, unless it's a hamster, in which case no one's devastated. Maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. It's just a tiny jab to the conscience that's all is there do you think some implicit suggestion in this email that they should do the classic comedy thing and replace jet yes just replace it and no one would know the difference uh i think they'd know the difference especially if you had a younger hamster that was a lot more sprightly well that would be much worse wouldn't it if you pretended it was the same hamster gave it back and said oh yeah jet's fine really perked up what you should have done was defrost jet just before they got back and pretend that Jet had died that day and then yes. they would have had the opportunity themselves to, to decide grieve. what to do. Yes. Oh, Luke. Yes. The freezer burn's a bit of an issue there. Freezer burn's not a problem if you put it in a proper Ziploc bag. Or just microwave it for a couple of minutes before they get back. <laughs> On a low setting. <laughs> or you could have weekend at Bernie's it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you the intermission. Brought to you today by episode 75. Available now from answermethisstore.com. Bad news now from Tom. Oh. He says, a dear friend of mine recently contracted chlamydia. The silent killer. Helen, answer me this. What are the origins of the phrase, the gift that keeps on giving? The things that nice spark thought there, in all this. Nice link. Uh, uh, could it be an old advertising tagline or something moderately more exciting and edifying? No, it's, it's the former. It's unexciting it really? and unedifying. Yeah, it's from um, a campaign in the 20s for a phonograph machine. And ironically, yeah. a gift that you can no longer buy and probably not many people have. If you're going to get existential about this, how many things give, keep on giving indefinitely? I mean, the sun, even that's going to go, grow cold and die one day, Ollie. I tell you what keeps on giving, a ginger beer plant, because it, it just grows and grows, you halve it, and you give it away to other people, you halve it again, because it's a massive, it, it's a fungus that the just increases all the time. The miracle with you, Helen Zaltzman, I literally don't know what's coming next out of that <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Listeners, please remember that you can send your questions not just via email, but also via phone call to the following number. 0208123 Or as a Skype message to answer me this. And uh, let's hear who's been in touch today. This is Jesse in Zurich. I am 33 and I don't understand Twin Peaks. Answer me this. What am I missing? Is it meant to be overly dramatic? Um, am I am I not in on the joke? What is it? I'm not getting about Twin Peaks. Well, let's just set the scene. Ollie, you've not seen Twin Peaks. Yeah, I, I'm a, a willing cultural philistine on this. I enjoy Twin Peaks, but it's kind of contrary to what I usually enjoy. Because what you've got in Twin Peaks, you've got 
a murder mystery in the manner of the killing, mm-hmm. right? A teenage girl. I'm saying yes, is dead. never seen yes. it. Okay, right. I didn't even know there was a murder mystery element. Yeah, that that is the central conceit: murder mystery. Uh-huh. And then it's sort of combined with a small town full of eccentrics, like you see in Gilmore Girls and just countless American dramas, plus soap opera essentially and then on top of that mm-hmm. and this is my usual sticking point weirdness supernatural elements yeah i usually hate supernature any sniff of that has put me off twin peaks i i guess in the past yeah and it's very comical for a murder show and then sometimes very scary and it's quite uneven in in quality some of the acting is amazing but then some of the people you're just like i can't believe i'm having to sit through this person is it on netflix uh it's on american so. netflix yeah See, if it, came, if it was on Netflix, it didn't cost me any extra money, yeah. I'd probably try it. Because it seems like the sort of thing that I'd have been well into if I were an adult when it came out. Yes. You know, like, it, it was the sort of early 90s Breaking Bad or Homeland, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. It was a discerning kind of uh, so, East Village kind of viewer would have watched it, and I'd have been into that. But now so I just can't be asked to discover it. Yeah. It's so influential on all of those series, I think. They wouldn't really... Yeah, exist. things like Desperate Housewives wouldn't. But the thing is, if you're expecting, like, a straightforward narrative where you get like satisfactory conclusions to arcs and if you're expecting consistent acting and easy answers then you're not going to get on with it because you're not going to get any of these but i think i watched it not really knowing what it was about and i was like oh okay then but after if you are watching it after the big reveal just stop (laughs) because what episode is that roughly it's like halfway through the second series, which is quite a long series. It's not even halfway through, I don't think. I think they thought it was just going to run like a soap opera for, yeah. for years. They didn't want to solve the murder at all, but they, they were under network pressure to do it because ratings were falling. But now they're bringing Twin Peaks back, and, and I was like, oh, that's exciting, but also it's probably going to be bad. Well, the thing is, like you say, it was very influential. It seems to me that particularly David Lynch, when you look at him... Because I've seen some of his films. I've seen yeah. Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And I've, I've seen um, uh, The Elephant Man. Yeah. And Blue Velvet, I haven't seen, but that was his biggest critical commercial success. And then after that, he decided to make Twin Peaks. Like, in that sense, it was influential in terms of, I presume, in Hollywood, he could have gone on to do another big thriller, but he decided to do a TV series at a time when that would have been seen to be quite an unsexy thing to do. And in fact, Mulholland Drive was reportedly meant to be a pilot for a long... Oh, right. uh, like mystical TV series and then the, the network dropped it and so he made it into a feature. So he was kind of ahead of his time in terms of, you know, being someone creative and interesting in Hollywood who wanted to work in telly rather than film. Yeah. But now that is everyone. And I think also Twin Peaks worked for the people it worked and, and Jesse, I'm not saying it has to work for you because it doesn't and it's fine not to like things like I can't get into the wire and I have tried twice. So we've got that out of the way. But Twin Peaks, I think, wouldn't work if it was done knowingly. And I think when it comes back, it will be knowing. Oh, totally. And there'll be so many references to things that happened in the past. And like Sherlock, they probably won't be able to help themselves referencing fans oh. on the internet. And I, that's oh, a mistake, God, I isn't it? Do I, don't, I don't think Lynch will do that. I think he's got... I mean, he, he'd make some catastrophic missteps, but I don't think he's quite up his own arse about his own mistake. As, as someone there is going to be thinking, what's the bit that's going to go viral? And that's a different conversation to what's the best hour-long yeah. weird lynching thing. So I think if you're letting David Lynch do this, you're only going to do that with the proviso that you're going to leave him alone to do whatever he wants, mm. even if you lose a lot of money. Despite never having seen Twin Peaks, I've got a weird soft spot for it. Uh, yeah. because um, <laughs> Pretty girls in it, because, undoubtedly. Well, yeah, you say that. Uh, because when I was at boarding school in prep time, uh, mm-hmm. Abigail Levy uh, used to uh, write out of her novelization of Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Oh, no! One of Fire the sex scenes, uh, which was uh, set in uh, a lagoon. And she used to pass okay. it around to all the boys at boarding school. And it used to give me a hard on when I was 12. 
Wow. So, so Twin I've Peaks got, fanfic did it, was, it for yes, you. Yes, yes. I mean, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't even know who the characters were, but it was quite an explicit sex scene. It's quite a, a sexual film. And, uh, but in, don't watch it, people, because it's rubbish. In 1993, that... Uh, That's all you needed. It, well, it ignited my imagination. Yeah. So, sure did. Yeah. So that's still there, weirdly. I hear the words Twin Peaks and there's still some Pavlovian sizzle. Here is another question of televisual entertainment. Maybe Jesse will enjoy this programme more than Twin Peaks. The question is from Nick from Milton Keynes, who says, My girlfriend and I have been watching supermarket sweep repeats on Challenge TV. (laughs) (laughs) Often mentioned in one breath, isn't it, with Twin Peaks? It's one of the defining TV shows of the 90s. I went around the corner and there was a terrifying spectre (laughs) and then I died of fright, uh, as it's the only way to spend a Saturday night. That is not true. They're showing the repeats on Challenge TV, aren't they? Challenge TV is one of the greatest things that has ever happened to me. The other night I was watching Stars in Their Eyes before Matthew Kelly. I didn't even know. presented it before Matthew Kelly? Leslie Crowther. Wow. He's the most insincere performer I've ever seen. It's really incredible. So you're going to do a song, are you? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) The best one for that was uh, David Dimbleby when he does his trips around Britain, you know, and he's just obviously geriatric and tired. Not like like on Question Time where he's just there for an hour and he's interested in meeting the Deputy Prime Minister. But when they get him like running a steam train or something, Ah. you can hear in his interviewing style that he's been there for six hours. And he actually says, oh, this is your job, is it? (laughs) <laughs> the bloke's like yeah we uh, we pull the lever here and then we twist it and it's just like it was in the 1870s yes isn't it remarkable you do this all day do you I mean, literally <laughs> like that brilliant anyway well anyway uh, Nick says it was all good fun but my girlfriend and I disagree as to whether Supermarket Sweep was filmed in an actual supermarket or not I reckon it was you're wrong but my girlfriend reckons it was a large studio made to look like a supermarket. Yeah, and she's obviously right, because it's obviously not a supermarket. It's I not, mean, if you look at it, it's got a studio audience in it for a start. It's got ridiculous clapping. Yeah. They ruin everything every episode. <laughs> it would be very impractical to do it in a real supermarket, because you'd have to like essentially knock quite a lot of it down so you could put the big cameras in, wouldn't mm. you? As a format, it goes back to the 1960s. Wow. And I imagine that at some point in its history from the 1960s in the USA, Mm. someone has filmed it in a real supermarket because in the USA they never had anti-product placement regulations. So you could actually call it Tesco sweep effectively and you can have it filmed in a, in a Tesco and you can have a round where someone says go and find all the Nestle cereals you know yes. well you can't do that in the UK because of our really stringent product placement laws so it was always really odd in the UK uh, when it was built in a set and it was like a generic supermarket and the products just say bleach bit like supermarkets as i imagine they were in east germany before the Berlin Wall came down <laughs> exactly well actually now we do have product placement now mm. i could imagine easily imagine dale's aldi sweep on channel five couldn't you do you think dale would go back to that i think he could because two things about dale winton one he's not on telly and radio as much as he used no, to be not- i mean i, I he, since our friend tony blackburn kicked him out of the way on pick of the pops Oof. uh I think all he does, and he must be getting good money for it, but all he does is those national lottery quizzes on the BBC. He must do a bit of voiceover work as well. I'm sure, but you know... Things about pets that we don't watch. He's he's worked in daytime TV and that's where his heart is. And I it, think he'd do it again. How, how old is he? He's much... That was my second point about Dale Winton. Thank mm. you for preempting it. Guess. Well, he looked about 40 in supermarket sweeps from 20 years ago, well, but that's because the styles are so ageing then. So he looks so, younger now. So is he about... I would say about 55. He's 59. Oh, okay. So I, okay. I think he's so older. He, I thought he was 50. 
because because uh, the styles were so bad but his suits then were amazing like a man who, pulling off a turquoise and yellow suit with like a giant <laughs> tie amazing well but i think at his age now you see i think he would want a bit of a nest egg and he'd go back to it i think he'd do more of a sitting down quiz than one where people <laughs> run about i think the problem with dale winter actually was that he slightly ironized himself out of existence with mm. those multicolored suits actually mm. because the thing about daytime telly is you're always appealing to geriatrics and students and yes. he leaned it too far towards students i think the whole thing felt like a nudge and a wink and then when he did his cameo in train spotting as nightmarish daytime tv yes. quiz show host and then pets win prizes on bbc a template which had been established by danny baker taking the piss out of it i think he became a bit postmodern. what he mm. was good at though compared to other stalwarts of challenge tv because they run a lot of crystal maze mm. and both Richard O'Brien and Ed Tudorpole look like they could snap at any minute and start screaming at the contestants being stupid. <laughs> Dale Winton is very good at swallowing those screams. Like, can see yeah. on his face that he would stab someone in a heartbeat. Yeah, there's there's nothing creepy about Winton giving the two women players in the supermarket a big hug, as he says, well done on getting the point. He's very gentle. Uh, he does it well. You know Supermarket Sweep is the reason why I can't drive. Go on. Because I started driving lessons... And then about four lessons in, my instructor, who was very nice, but not very good, uh, she said, oh, I'm on Supermarket Sweep next week. And uh, I just lost all confidence in her as a competent person. Though. And after after the block of lessons I'd booked was up, I was like, yeah, no. It is a great format, though. I mean, it's it's such a mad idea to create a game show out of... Based on something really boring in real life. It's yes. not, though. I, like I, Paper I, Round, that game you were talking about earlier. Paper Boy. No, I, quite, I quite like that. I think I want one based on putting up a, a, a shelf. Ikea Flat Pack, 24-7 channel I would watch. Multi-story parking sweep, I want to see. I, I, I want to see queuing in the post office sweep. I'd like to see lots of those shows. I, I remember when my parents told me about the concept of a trolley dash. Mm. And I thought, imagine if you could do that in Toys R Us, have a trolley exactly. dash in Toys That would literally be the best thing best in the thing world. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. always kind of mentally planning for a trolley dash, aren't you? Like, which aisles would you... Yes. And I'm try- now it's say it would be guitar shops, but yeah. It does tap into something in the psyche, and a supermarket does have a lot in it. I mean, actually, if I gave you a trolley dash, if you won a trolley dash in Tesco, so not M&S, not Waitrose, mm. Tesco, where, what would you buy? Would you fill your trolley with huddles and sell them on eBay? Or would you buy lots of slightly dearer food than you'd normally buy, but still not particularly extravagant food? I think by the rules of Supermarket Sweep, you can't buy too many multiples of anything. Which makes sense. You would want things with longevity. You'd go to the Tesco Extra and you raid the electronics department is what you do, isn't yeah. it? I but think I'd, get to, I'd, I'd try and find items which weren't easily damaged by falling so that I could, uh, that I could get do it quickly. Speed. Yes, yeah, 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 but then you're compromising your speed by trying to find items that weren't easily damaged by falling. Trolley full of batteries. Expensive, it's, small. Yes. Yeah, Ebayable. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you can set up a car boot with that, couldn't you? You can do very well out of those. I put my picture on Tinder, but nobody swiped right. I went on Match and OkCupid, no suitors would bite. My body clock is ticking and I need to find my Mr. Right. Or at least a willing donor. With a personal website built through squarespace.com, you can edit text and pictures till you look like the bomb. And if you don't find a man, at least be comforted by the peeping toms. It's a cold comfort, I just want to be loved. Thanks so much to Squarespace for supporting this episode of Answer Me This and for supporting your endeavours in building and hosting websites. Yeah, and supporting it in a fantastic way with new Squarespace 7 as well. So you can actually get a little preview of the site you're making as you're making it, which means you can even, without logging into the task manager and doing all that crap, you can even just make a change on the yep. website as you look at it and Goodbye, it changes back it. End. Don't need to know HTML, don't even need to click save, just do it and it works. Anyway, go over to squarespace.com, have a play around, and if you sign up, you can get 10% off for a whole year if you use the code ANSWER. It's Adam from London. 
Hello, Naomi, Anthony this. Why does takeaway sushi have to have a small piece of plastic fashioned to look like a blade of grass? Well, some would say it's to provide a little bit of structure, you know, to keep your wasabi from going over everything by sequestering it off. Because the last thing you want is very, very spicy sushi if you're not a spicy sushi person, but you certainly want the option to be able to spice it up. I absolutely do, Ollie. Yeah. Absolutely do. But why a divider made of fake grass? Well, well, there is a long historical heritage. Or It didn't used to be fake grass. Back in the Edo period... Uh, They used to cut uh, bamboo leaves, which A, made the bento boxes look prettier, but also B, it released a kind of antimicrobial substance that stopped plants from rotting. So it's almost like a preservative. Actually, what are those things in the bento box? You get the uh, the wasabi paste, which is good. And then you get the, is it ginger? ginger? Yeah, that's meant to freshen your breath and palate at the end. Ah, I always wondered about that because I sometimes pile it on with the wasabi and I'm like, this. Yeah. I don't really need this. I I'm like just doing it, this because it's here. I like it, but you're not supposed to. You're supposed to have it at the end to, at the to end. take the fishy Like a mint. Okay. And then, I mean, the best soy sauce is when you get a little fish-shaped bottle, isn't it, that's squirty. That's fun, I used to love yeah. those. Like yeah. a little water pistol full it's of soy. Like, yeah, it's like a little joke bottle, isn't it? It's yeah. like something the eight-year-old me would have had inside a bow tie. But anyway, the plastic grass happened when, um, in the 60s, supermarkets became very common in Japan and they needed something cheaper and quicker and more easy to mass-produce than bamboo leaves. Plastic, voila. Mm. I think I'm generally staggered that sushi seems to be more popular than sashimi. Mm, when I think cheaper. sashimi is... Yeah, it is cheaper. But the last thing I want is the stodgy rice on it. I actually yeah. like just the raw fish. It's quite filling, though, isn't it? But some people are massive fans of rice, Ollie. And yeah. let's not rule them out of uh, this commercial equation. Because they're actually... a powerful force. <laughs> I, m- maybe that explains why uh, the Chinese takeaway on Borehamwood High Street is called Lots of Rice. <laughs> I just, I just thought, wow. of all the names you could possibly call a Chinese takeaway. I mean, I can make rice at home. Yeah. I don't go to a takeaway for rice. And even when I get rice from a takeaway, it's never the reason I'm there. Well, and no. I certainly don't need lots of it. I just not worried about the quantities. No, it's just like the worst name for a Chinese takeaway ever. But some people, Ollie, are glad just to have rice. You know, if they didn't have rice, they'd die. That's that's right. But again, not a selling point for a treat <laughs> on a Friday, I wouldn't think. What about the price is rice? <laughs> <laughs> the rice is right. Yeah. Or just something that isn't based around rice. Maybe focuses on the breaded chicken or fish that they do. Mm, Probably the fact of rice being in the food is the only thing it has in common with genuine Chinese food. (laughs) Here's another question about a certain element of Japanese culture. It's from Mike from Bath who says, Ollie, answer me this. What is Mario and Luigi's surname? Ah, well, sort of Japanese culture, sort of Italian culture as well, of course, because it's inerringly accurate, isn't it, in yeah. his depiction of the Italian uh, diaspora, uh, <laughs> Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. Um, the, 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 before I say, I feel a bit guilty sort of being too tongue-in-cheek about this, because the reason it doesn't quite make sense, really, when you boil it down... Unlike everything else in the Mario universe. <laughs> ...is the same sort of reason you get people poking fun at funny foreign signs on the internet. Do you know what I mean? Like... When a when if lots of rice in their uh, in their menu said I don't know steak and chips but spelt it S T A K E yes. and everyone put it on Facebook and was like ho 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 and it's like well yeah but they speak three languages what do yeah. you do I I couldn't do better and in fact we took the piss out of Americans not being able to pronounce English words I met an American man called Grant the other day he doesn't pronounce his name Grant he pronounces it Grant I can't say it I, I, phys- I physically don't have the capacity to do yeah. it right but when he was like oh I'm, I'm Grant and I was like oh yeah Grant and I was like no hang on I'm not saying this is how you should pronounce your name I just actually can't pronounce it so I'm the dick yes. I'm just saying listeners I've realised I am the dick the dick is me it's a good point to launch a word based uh, podcast isn't it <laughs> I'm really going to knock that out of the park listeners but anyway I, I, so what I'm saying is I think a lot of the uh, 
folklore around the Mario story mm. depends on the fact that actually, as you pointed out, it's a Japanese, not an Italian creation. Indeed. Uh, and it's kind of just a bit of a mistake. So, for example, mm-hmm. you know, the whole Donkey Kong thing, I mean, just for a start, he, he, he first featured in Donkey Kong, which right. should have really been called Monkey Kong, but I think that was a translation issue. I mean, uh, that's, a, that's a typo. Yeah, it's a typo, but I, mm. I, I imagine to the untrained Japanese eye who was developing what they thought at the time was just an unremarkable 8-bit game, monkey. Donkey, Monkey, what's the difference? Yeah, well, it's, it's almost all right. It's five out of six right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Mario brothers are so called because their surname is Mario. I, ah. I don't think the ah. Japanese people that invented them thought that that therefore meant that he would be called Mario Mario but that is actually his name oh, it's Mario that, Mario and Luigi Mario that's literally his name yes yeah wow yeah huh the Mario brothers I mean is it, was it explicit that his first name was Mario or was it could it just be that like Columbo you mm. know that his surname is Mario but his first name is just the plumber as in the same way Columbo is lieutenant Mm. Well, or Inspector Morse again I, you know you're talking about a gaming universe that came about at the time there weren't geeks to analyse gaming universes oh so I think there were <laughs> well yeah but not on this kind of level like not to the extent that they didn't know they were creating a character that would be franchised and still be being discussed 40 years later and be as recognisable as Mickey Mouse he was just a guy from the game mm. he was a plumber from the game you'll notice that Mario is very rarely pictured facing to the left something I realised oh has he got a side like Ariana Grande well yeah because he's always going left to right isn't he in the platformers and then later from front to back but very rarely does he turn around and you see what's on the left interesting I wonder he's if... got a scar yeah well it's possible isn't it do you see the same side of Luigi's face or are they symmetrical when you put them together mm. are they one person divided mm, it's interesting isn't it yes maybe they're Brad Pitt and Edward Norton <laughs> can I get a witness I don't know I said can I get a witness I don't know but you aren't much used to me sorry sorry who can tell me if I can get a witness answer me this podcast.com and that's where I go That was a jingle from listener Chris who said, I discovered Answer Me This far too late in life when Helen, that's me, appeared on No Such Thing as a Fish. I've been stuffing myself with old episodes of Answer Me This ever since. If I'm being honest, in life I tend to find things I like, gorge on them until I'm sick, then move on. (laughs) Maybe this will happen with Answer Me This. It did with Adam and Joe, Wagamama, (laughs) and and Iceland's one pound big Toblerones. Toblerone for breakfast seems like a good idea for a couple of days, and then not. But Chris says, I haven't got to that point with Answer Me This yet. So buoyed with enthusiasm in a two-hour window while my three-year-old son was out visiting his granddad, I recorded you that jingle. We don't actually often, like, put out requests for jingles, but if you want to do us one, send it to us. Yeah, nothing copyrighted, no parody between 30 seconds and a minute yeah. get our url right please yeah. happy to have it uh nicola uh, has emailed a question though and we're happy to have those too yes she says i have been suffering from mild hyperemesis gravidarum Ooh. of kate middleton fame she really has popularized <laughs> chronic morning sickness uh for the last four to five months oh no uh, it is a serious medical condition Really? No shit. (laughs) Uh, And frankly, a living hell. Yes, as if just gestation wasn't bad enough. To have this thing that completely destroys you seems unfair. Indeed. Uh, Women and babies can die from it. Charlotte Bronte, for example, she gives us for uh, historical context. I did not know that. Uh, Some low points for me have included... Vomiting so hard, I wet myself. That's what happens most of Geordie Shore people on a night out. (laughs) 
uh, instantly retching after playing the word beef on my Scrabble app. Oh, God. <laughs> You're not safe anywhere, are you? you That's think... almost worth oh. it for the email comedy. Yeah, true, but you know, lying in bed thinking, what can I do not to, not to die of boredom or this nausea? I'll play Scrabble. Yeah. I can't even do that. Uh, my husband not being able to cook in the house for four months because I can't handle the smells. I've just got this vision of him out in the road stirring a little pot over a gas stove. Not being able to drink water or eat a vegetable or look at either for months on end. Oh, Lord, no water. Oh, so, no watching supermarket sweep. Uh, losing weight for six weeks mm. although you're about to put on a lot of weight so that's actually probably not such a big problem when you're pregnant people are anxious for you to put on weight mm, so true. this is happening to you and you're getting bollocked by medical professionals and the final point in her illustrious list crying for hours every day because the nausea is so unbearable okay so i think we can understand where you're at here are you feeling more sorry for kate middleton now I've always felt sorry for Kate Middleton. She's married to the most boring man in the world. <laughs> yeah, but she's a cipher. <laughs> but this, I've, I've read articles about it because more people have piped up about this condition since she had it because people are only interested if Kate Middleton's had a thing. Yes. Numerous medical professionals have, in all seriousness, told me to try ginger biscuits to cure the sickness. Well, it'll act like a bung. <laughs> Maybe. According to my limited Google research, there is zero decent medical evidence that ginger helps women with hyperemesis or anything beyond very mild pregnancy sickness. Mm. It seems ridiculous, like telling someone with manic depression to try watching a funny film, uh, or telling someone with a broken leg just not to put any weight on it. Yep, the uh, Alison Zaltzman cure for <laughs> horrific injuries. <laughs> it's alright, I'll just limp. Uh, women with hyperemesis, she says, need serious medical treatment. Yes. Uh, Helen, answer me this. Are there other examples in modern medicine of medical professionals knowingly offering treatments to patients which are proven to be completely ineffectual or which are universally dismissed as useless by the sufferers themselves? I'm not aware of a single woman with hyperemesis who has found ginger in any way beneficial. In fact, there are even online forums where sufferers exchange ginger biscuit anecdotes. <laughs> fun forums. You're um, having all the fun. Well, you, you could argue that that is perhaps the placebo effect at work. You know, it it's giving you, you a together. diversion tactic, yes, and you're meeting yeah. other women who have had similar experiences. Did you ever, as a kid, get told uh, to drink peppermint cordial if you're feeling sick? No, I don't think until you've just said the words that I've ever knowingly heard the words peppermint cordial. Peppermint cordial is utterly disgusting. It's yeah. a really, really sweet, minty, minty drink. Well, it's yeah, mouthwash, isn't it, but with less alcohol in it? Yeah, it's, but you know, you it takes your mind off it. It's really gross. But yeah. my parents always used to feed that to me if I was if I was sick, like spewy sick. Yeah, well, it's supposed, peppermint's supposed to calm your stomach, though, isn't it? Yes. But that's not hyperemesis. No, well, no, exactly. No, no, no. Ginger is meant to help with mild nausea, as yeah. she points out. But I think the problem is they don't know anything that cures hyperemesis. I think they can kind of replace lost fluids and stuff, but they can't cure it. Mm. And therefore, most doctors are like, well, I feel like I should say something. But And ginger's a fun word, isn't it? Yeah. It is offering a mild nausea soother and a little bit of sugar and bulk in the form of the biscuit. Yeah. But... Yeah, I think they're just trying to do something when actually they can do nothing and they don't want to admit that. It must be frustrating for doctors that all they can say is ginger biscuits for this. Yeah, yeah. Mm. especially as they're power-crazed individuals that hold people's health in their hands. Yeah. Also, I've read uh, that um, you can drink one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and one tablespoon of honey mixed in cold water. That surely is going to make you puke oh, more. That sounds like an emetic. And apparently you should eat iron-rich foods, including sardines, which if you're finding the word beef played <laughs> oh, in a Scrabble God. app nauseating... Again, highly problematic. So essentially what we're saying, Nicola, is uh, I'm afraid, although the medical establishment is amazing in what they can do, they're also a bit shit sometimes, and this is one of those instances. 
however, it appears that you've formed informal support groups with other women who hate the idea of being offered ginger biscuits. Do you think Kate Middleton is on the ginger biscuit forums? <laughs> Probably. Do you think she's a brand ambassador for McVitie's? That's how this whole thing started. <laughs> she could be because they had chocolate fridge cake at the wedding, didn't they? Did they? Yes, yeah, food for thought. That's about the only interesting thing those kids have ever done. <laughs> anyway. If they can't cure it for her, they can't cure it, can exactly. they? Surely there is someone out there who has a slam dunk cure for Nicola's condition. Yeah. Surely. There are so many of you and you're so wise. Wisdom of the crowd. And many of you will have had morning sickness and many of you yes. won't like ginger biscuits. Yes, but it's chronic morning sickness. Don't write in if you've only had mild morning no, sickness. We're not though. interested. That, no. Have you nearly died from morning sickness? Yes. If that, you've got feedback on that, yes. uh, or just a question. It's not going to be that jolly, is it, that feedback? No. We're starting Answer Me This episode 303 with someone saying, yes, I actually puked my liver out. <laughs> Goody, can't wait. All of our contact details, as always, are on our website, answermethispodcast.com. And on there also you can find links to our Twitter and our Facebook. And also if you visit answermethisstore.com, you can find all of our old stuff. That's right. Our first 170 episodes you can buy. You can buy our albums. You can buy our apps. You can donate to us. All of which we would be very grateful if you did. Because your funds keep this show going. Which seems like a good moment to say thank you again to squarespace.com for their support of the show. Also bankrolling this operation. And we will see you next time. Bye! Bye.